Alright, so, um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know. Oh, that's that good. amazing. So good. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're recording. Hi, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. With my... Sorry. I caught you right off. <laughs> I was just going to say... The podcast that'll leave you wondering, what is wrong with those people? You're assuming we're leaving people brain cells to wonder with. <laughs> we're assuming they had brain cells to start with. They're listening to us, aren't they? Which is why I said that. Okay. Anyway, uh, I am Mary Swartz. I'm Hannah Green. And we're here to entertain you tonight. Woohoo! Today. Yep. This morning, whatever time it happens to this be afternoon. while you're listening with, to us. It's 5.30 somewhere. <laughs> Always five o'clock somewhere. Okay. Yay. Um, so appreciate you spending some of your day with us. Hope we can make you giggle, laugh, laugh out loud, teach you something you didn't need to know. Yada 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 blah 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 blah. Snort. I practiced hard to say that too. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah that doesn't come naturally, you know. Sure, we'll go with that. Okay. What's happening today? It was my day off. Good. And I got to spend it with my amazing sister. Good! I'm so happy for you. We did a little retail therapy. Everybody needs that once in a while. Yeah, found some amazing stuff, including one of my all-time favorite coffees. Bought every bought every package they had. Expect <laughs> no less out of you. That's right. Good for you. Are you um, reading anything? Listening to anything new? Um... I currently have not been reading any new books because I've been really busy researching a story for the other podcast. Right. I do, however, listen to podcasts when I'm in my car. So this week I um, have listened to My Favorite Murder. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I discovered one. A podcast or a book? Yes, a podcast. Okay. Um, I want to say it's on Exactly Right, which is the same people yep. that put out our favorite murder. Yep, they it's do a couple of different ones. The Murder Squad? Is it the one that does the SUVU? No. Okay. No. Because I no, listened, I've to, listened, I, to, that I listened to that one too. I, I have listened to some of that one. Yep. No. This is called Jensen and Holes, The Murder Squad. All right. Uh, it's uh, Paul Holes and an investigative journalist, Billy Jensen. And Paul Holes was a cold case investigator. He's retired now. Okay. Um, they talk about unsolved murders, unidentified remains, missing persons cases. Um, because of the work that they have both done, they are both very well acquainted with a lot of people in those areas. So every week they have guests on. They um, have super good phone calls. Um, I, I like it. They're very real. They're very down to earth. There's nothing comedic about it. And every week they give their listeners what they call homework. Okay. Um, and because of the homework that their listeners do, they have actually brought a lot of new information into some of the cold cases that they've discussed. And it's kind of really cool. That's amazing. And they're super down to earth. Super down earth. That so is yeah, amazing. That's the murder squad. I will have to check them out. Yeah, I think um, you might enjoy them. 
They're definitely not the same type of podcast that Georgia and Karen do it, but they're both really good. Right. Well, when I... And they're easy to listen to. (laughs) When I need something a little more lighthearted, because some days I just... I just can't do a true crime. I tend to listen to a podcast some of our listeners may have heard of. It's called My Dad Wrote a Porno. I have not listened to that one. I've heard about it. I have not listened to that one yet. That is a snort out loud. Oh, my God. Because it is so ridiculous. Um, If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, don't let the name scare you off. Scare you off. It really is. While it is definitely an adult mm-hmm. podcast, it is very funny. That's awesome. Uh, it is hosted by a guy named Jamie and two friends who Jamie's dad actually decided to try his hand at writing a porno. And he produces this porno under the name of Rocky Flintstone. And Jamie was so horrified by this when his dad started sharing it with him that he felt the need to share it with others and get their opinion, and it's now, like, five seasons long. Oh, my God. Because his dad keeps coming out with more books. So it was, like, first it was, like, a short book, and then there was another, and then there was another, and he just keeps adding to it, and it's probably the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I have to check that out. It's good. I promise it's it's worth a listen to as long as you're not... Taking it too seriously. Yeah, I mean, some days I need laughter in my life, and some days um, I'll listen to forensic files because they're short. Right. And I know they're always going to be solved. Right. Some days I listen to Dateline. Some days I listen to The Murder Squad. I listen to Our Favorite Murder because they always make me laugh. Always make me laugh. Um, I've listened to, recently I've been listening also to uh, Killer Queens, which I really like as well. So, you know, and then I, of course, always when I need something that I've heard a million times, but I just need a laugh, I have a whole playlist of nothing but comedy bits. Robin Williams. Yeah. You know. The other one I really, really John like Mulaney. is. Yeah. The other one I really, really like is True Crime Obsessed, which I know you've listened oh, to. Oh, yeah. 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 But sometimes you just need a, ch- a change from the, the true crime. Especially. Sometimes you need reality to go away. Yeah, exactly. Uh that, like I said, that's when I tend to listen to my dad wrote a porno or I listen to my comedy playlist because Robin Williams, Billing, Vault, John Mulaney, they can always make me laugh and forget Awesome, the serious shit in life. Well, you know, we, we talk a lot about reality on this show. Yes, we do. Um, everything we do talk about is real. Unfortunately. Whether you it or not, it is, it is real. So our first little tidbit, we're going to go back to the 1600s. And there was a gentleman by the name of... John Wilkins. Okay. He's a distinguished scholar. He's a clergyman. He's also a founding member of the Royal Society. He is about as learned of a man as it is possible to be at the time. He attended both Oxford and Cambridge universities. Impressive. Yes. Um, He's from Britain. He also believed that the moon and the surrounding planets were all inhabited, and he was convinced he could build a flying machine to reach them. Because he wanted to establish trade with the residents of the moon. He wanted to establish trade with the other planets because he thought that that would contribute to the prosperity of Britain. 
Well, I guess it makes sense if you think about what they actually knew back then. The things that they couldn't verify, they just had to guess at. True. So, you think about that and what two questions you might come up with today. Two questions. What would you come up with? Um, are we talking with the knowledge that I have now or if I was him then? If you were him then. How am I going to get there? Perfect. And what am I going to trade with them? Okay. The first one is really good. How are you going to get there? How are you going to get there? Um, John Wilkins believed that flight was well within the capabilities of mankind. You simply needed the aid of a flying machine who was piloted by either a good or a bad angel. Oh. He didn't really care which. If the angels are unwilling to participate in your idea here, however, as a voyager, you can use a winged chariot. You're going to break free of gravity, and you're going to snap delicately to the surface of the moon, and then you're going to greet the aliens who live there, and that's how you're going to get there. So if you just run really fast and think really hard, you can just break gravity? Is that, is that kind of how this works? <laughs> oh, You've got to have your winged chariot. Well, uh, yeah, I, I know. I know. you got to get the, the chariot just, like, running really, really fast, Apparently, though. yes, you're going to break free from gravity as if you're opposing the force of a magnet. Okay. And then you're going to snap delicately onto the surface of the moon and begin your trading. Okay. Okay. Sure. So the second question that people posed to him was, how are you going to breathe in space? Well, they didn't know back then that you couldn't breathe in outer space. I'm not sure if they knew that or not. Apparently, someone uh, posed the question to him. Oh, okay. So, he has this answer. You know, when, when you travel to another country or another state, and you've heard that your body becomes accustomed to the temperature change, that was his solution. As a space traveler, you would become accustomed to the purer air that was breathed by the angels that he believed inhabited the space between all the planets. Oh, so your body would just adjust, and you would breathe, and you'd be fine. Okay. So, yeah. Be piloted by an angel. Be piloted by an angel, and Britain is going to prosper. Good to know. Yeah. Glad to see that yes. worked out for him. <laughs> <laughs> kind of amusing, I mean, because some of the ideas that they have way back then are kind of realistic, but the way they went about thinking they would work right, is, is because of the knowledge that we have today. Far too funny. Yes. So, Mary, what's in your glass? Something delicious. <laughs> Tonight we are drinking an amazing, amazing wine. Came from one of our travels. It did. Last year. Yep. Uh, it's from the White Meyer Vineyard and Winery in Kentucky. This is called Kentucky Black Diamond. It is... Uh, delicious. It is. It says a blend of blackberry and diamond. Uh, clearly not actually a blend of diamonds. It is a blend of some sort of grapes and blackberry, and yeah. It is delicious. It has got a really full, robust flavor, but it's not dry in the least. No, and it's smooth. Silky. It is very smooth, Silky. Yes, it is. Yeah. Good mouthfeel. Absolutely. So, um, are you aware of what a polydactyl is? Um, you know what? Here's the thing. I've heard this word. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that somewhere in the recesses of my brain that I do know what a polydactyl is. Okay. But I 
can't tell you off the top of my head. Okay. There's a connection between polydactyls and Ernest Hemingway, the author. Okay. Um, is a polydactyl someone who is ambidextrous? No. Okay. That would be ambidextrous people. Well, I didn't know if it was just another word for it. No. Okay. No. You actually do know a polydactyl being. Okay. You do. Okay. And, and they're a true polydactyl being. Uh, Ernest Hemingway is known for his novels, his poetry, etc. Does he have six toes? Ernest Hemingway does not have six toes. Did he have six toes? No. Oh, okay. All right. Is that what a polydactyl is? Is somebody who has extra toes? It is a cat that has six toes. Oh. Yes. yes. Yay. See? I knew that I knew it. Um, so Ernest Hemingway lived in, he resided in a Spanish colonial home in Key West. He had a lot of cats, didn't he? Um, he did have cats when he lived there, but there's definitely more cats now than there was. Okay. When he left, um, there was a trust established, and it, um, his home was turned into, it's called a home and a museum, the Ernest Hemingway Home and Museum. Where's it at? Key West, where he lived. Oh, he resided in Key West. Sorry. The home. Hang on, let me have another sip. The home stayed in Key West. I haven't had All right, drink it moved south. It's now in Key South. <laughs> <laughs> so the home is now the happy home to about, at this point in time, 50 felines, many of which are polydactyls. Um, polydactyl cats have six toes, and then they have uh, six nails, for each, a nail for each toe. Um, I'm glad you didn't say six nails on each toe. I know. I almost did. So Hemingway lived in his Key West for about 10 years, and the first of these cats was actually gifted to him by a sea captain. Six-toed cats are believed to be very lucky when you're out on the ocean, and they're supposed to bring really good luck to their owners. So the sea captain gifted our Hemingway with a six-toed cat known as Snow White. Um, so now that is exactly what the house does. I mean, it's a house, it's a museum, but it's also home to polydactyl cats. It's like a cat sanctuary. Yes, yes. And, and the trust enables the museum to employ a veterinarian full-time to take care of them, the cats, the felines, and they take care of everything, the vaccinations, the worming, ear treatments, everything, so that all residents that are living there are happy and healthy. Aww. It's like a feel-good thing. That's amazing. Yes, so now everybody knows what a polydactyl cat is, and they know that Ernest Hemingway liked them. Oh, that's yeah. very cool. It is. It's one of the little fun things, you know? I love it. Yeah. Yes, I have a polydactyl cat. She's a pain in the ass, but she is a true polydactyl cat. I have a friend that has a polydactyl cat. She's also a true pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> My friend or her cat? I don't know. I don't know your friend. <laughs> you do. She's been here, actually. Oh, Christina. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, another little fun fact. That was fun. Put some more, put some pieces of knowledge into people's brains. Yeah. So we just this week had a raccoon removed from the chimney of our home. Lucky you. They're not quiet animals generally. He got into the chimney and I don't know where he ended up, but when he was angry and it was a male and they're not sure if there's a female in there, they're going to watch for a couple days. They're loud, and they scream, and they don't scream like people. They scream an unearthly-sounding scream. That would not be pleasant to wake up to in the middle of the night. I didn't wake up to it. I heard it about 4 in the morning while I was getting ready for work. Horrible. But I do have to say, I would much rather have a raccoon in my chimney than the people in Tennessee. Okay. Yes. 
What did they have in their chimney? Um, they had a gas leak, okay? People in Tennessee had a gas leak in their home, so they called the utility workers, utility company, and the company sends out the workers to investigate the gas leak. Well, the utility workers had to call the wildlife officials because they discovered an entire family of bears sleeping under the house. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. They had to go under the house, check out the gas leak, and what they said was, quote, they found the ample caboose of a very large sleeping bear. So they call the wildlife resource agency who comes out, they get the bear out, and they get her to leave. Now, I'm not sure how they got her to leave because she left behind three baby cubs. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, mama. Yeah. I don't know how because I, I understand that mama bears are very, very fiercely protective, but they got her to leave. Um, so when they discovered that there were still three cubs under the house, those were removed. They were taken to the University of Tennessee Veterinary Medicine College. They were examined. They're in good health. Uh, they are now living in the Appalachian Bear Rescue at this point in time. And they are looking for another bear, mama bear, in the wild who will take over the care and raising of these cubs. Oh, the poor mama bear. I know. Oh, I felt very sad about broken. that. Yes, I felt really sad about that. I'm glad that the bears, that none of the bears were injured. I'm glad that the humans weren't injured, but that makes me sad. Yeah, and I'm really surprised that they got the mama bear to leave yeah. at all. Yeah. At all, because my understanding is they're super protective of their babies. Yeah. But, yeah. Ooh, yummy wine. Oh, so good. We pick the best stuff, though. We do. Most of the time. On air, we pick the best stuff. <laughs> the best. It's always good. This one is legitimately yeah, amazing. this one is so good. Super smooth. I mean, it does. It's super silky mouthfeel. Yeah. All right. What sure. else you got for us, Mary? All right, because I know you haven't had enough of golfing or golf stories. Okay. And alligators. Oh, dear God. So we're going to go back to Florida. Okay. All right. Um, there is an exception to the play it where it lies rule in Florida. Okay. Okay. When the alligator steals your golf ball and swims away, you do not have to play that ball. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, Mark Goldstein was playing at the Pelican Sound Golf Club in Ostero. He hit a bad shot. Ball rolled towards the pond. So he wanders towards the pond to get his ball. Okay. And instead of getting his ball, he gets out his phone and he hits record. Because the alligator had the ball in its mouth already. So he recorded the alligator with the golf ball in its mouth. And the alligator sat there for about three minutes with the golf ball and then said, screw you. And he took the ball and swam away. Yeah. I saw the video of his lightning. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah, at that point in time, legally, you can get out a new ball and drop it where the old one laid. <laughs> All right. I have a story for you. Okay. <clears throat> So, this story comes out of Bristol, England, and it actually happened last November. Okay. But it's just kind of coming to the public awareness Does it involve an alligator? No. Golf ball? No. Bear? No. Chariots? A worm. Winged horses? A worm. So We like worms. This mom's son, who was 10, came to her complaining that his ear was really itchy. Initially, mom thinks... His, his ear's probably dirty. He's probably got a wax build up yeah, in there. he's good. Mom quickly realizes that there was something else wrong after she yanked on this foreign body that was she could see in the ear. She yanked on it with some tweezers. 
and it kept coming out like a magician silk streamer. That's disgusting. I have a picture of it. She says, it was like a sticky, waxy texture that you could not pull apart. And all she could think was, oh my God, he has a giant worm in his ear. How the hell do you get a worm in your ear? So mom freaks out, which I think is pretty understandable. The picture is not pleasant to see. It's about as long as a short shoelace. So mom takes this 10-year-old son to the medical center. And the doctors aren't sure what this culprit is either. So they sent it to a lab for testing. And they send her home to await results. And she leaves freaking out, thinking that her son has had this giant worm in his ear. And, you know, what kind of damage could it have done? And while they're waiting for the doctors to call with some answers, the 10-year-old son comes to her and says, I wonder if that's the tape I put in my ear the other week that I couldn't get out. The tape? The tape. Turned out that the boy had inserted a rolled-up piece of masking tape into his ear, and it didn't occur to him to say anything to his parents when he couldn't get it back out. Oh, my And he didn't even think to say anything until long after the doctor's appointment, their home. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mom said she was relieved it wasn't a worm, and she hopes... That unlike the tape, the lesson will stick in her son's head for a long time. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's, oh, right. (laughs) Wow. I, I, um, February 28th is Rare Disease Day. (laughs) Does a masking tape brain-eating worm count? Right. With um, so many things going on in the world right now, it is super easy, especially right now, to put off your health. Yep. To not go to the doctor because it is much more difficult because there's so many extra things you have to do because it's not always comfortable. The last day of February each year is Rare Disease Day, and this year it falls on the 28th. And it basically just bring, wants to bring awareness to rare diseases. An average of 1 in 20 people live with a rare disease at least once in their lifetime. Many of these people never see a cure. So the goal of Rare Disease Day is just to improve knowledge of everyone in the general public of what rare diseases are, the people are living with it. It encourages researchers and people who make the decisions on where the money goes to just address the needs of those living with those rare diseases. You know, everybody, everyone knows somebody. Yep, people don't necessarily, some people talk about it, some people do not, some people it's very private, but somebody in everybody's life is living with a rare disease. So, you know, last day of February, give it a little bit of thought and just be aware that it's out there. Be compassionate, people. If you're tired on February 28th, it might be because February 28th is National Public Sleeping Day. Sweet. It encourages a midday nap right where you are. This is a day for anyone and everyone to take a nap um, on a blanket at the beach, at the table with a podcast, at the park, (laughs) in in a movie theater, bus, train, subway, whatever works for you. This is a national holiday that has been celebrated since 2011. I do have a few tips for our listeners, though. Okay. If you live in Pennsylvania... Be aware that it is illegal to sleep on top of a refrigerator in your yard. 
Even, even if you're just napping. Yeah, yeah. Regardless. Even if it's public nap day. Yes. It is illegal. So, if you... you can, if wait, no. Here's my question. If you move said refrigerator out to the street and climb on top and take a nap, then that's legal. Well, the law specifies your yard, so, yeah. If you move it to the neighbor's yard, it's legal. Um, I think they, they would get in trouble for it. What if your refrigerator's big enough they could just nap with you? They would get in trouble. They, would they be get napping. a ticket. You don't. Not your problem. Please don't solve this particular <laughs> law by sleeping in the refrigerator. That is dangerous. Okay. Also, if you live in New York. Yes. It is illegal to pretend to sleep on a bench in a public park. So it's not illegal to really sleep just if you're pretending. That's what the law says. That's a crazy law. Also... If you live in Minneapolis, it is illegal to sleep naked anywhere. If you live in North Dakota, do not nap with your shoes on. That is illegal. You must take your shoes off to nap. Jesus. <laughs> and in Tennessee, it is illegal to nap while you are driving. There's so many places we can no longer move to. I'm still voting for Missouri. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll move to Missouri. Or we'll just drive through there frequently. Exactly. That is funny as hell. There good, you are. Good facts to know. Because, you know, that's what we're here to do is give you facts. Enjoy a public nap. Abide by the law. All right. All righty. Ready for a funny little story? Of course All I right. am, Mary. This is a fun one. It's short. Okay. I'm calling it the squirrel. Autobonds of America. Autobond. Autobond. Bond, not bond. Bond. Bonds. Bond. Bonds. No, not bond. Autobonds. There's more than one. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> squirrel <laughs> autobonds of okay. America. All right. I don't know how you say, oh, Jesus, over squirrels. They're just cute little fuzzy things that cause problems. Yep. So, we start with Washington. If you live in Longview, Washington, you're probably pretty familiar with this subject. You obviously do not live in Longview, Washington. That's what you think. Or Missouri. Yeah. Sadly, I do not live right. in Missouri. If you visit Longview, Washington, you will probably hear about it. Okay. Because visitors and tourists will hear about this. And frequently, when people go to visit Longview, Washington, it's actually on their list of things to do while they're in that city. For the rest of us who are unwise and unknowing, it is a little-known, slightly quirky hidden gem. Within a city, we may never visit in our entire lifetime. Oh, no. No, if this is good enough, I'm adding it to the bucket list next year. All right. Our annual trip will be to Longview, Washington. All right. So we're talking about a gentleman by the name of Amos Peters. He's the owner of a construction company. It is located in Longview, Washington. Does he build squirrel autobahns? At this point in time, no. He does not. He owns a construction company. He constructs things. I don't know what. Little race cars for the squirrels? <laughs> With little tiny helmets. <laughs> little tiny pedals. And little baby seatbelts. <laughs> and a little itty-bitty rear-view mirror. And a little baby trophy for the winner. <laughs> and a little tiny horn that goes, meep, meep. <laughs> Amos is, is an average guy. He goes to work every day. He takes a lot of pride in the job that he does. I would, too, if I built little race cars for squirrels. I didn't say he did. We made that all <laughs> up. I know. 
owns a construction company. He's super proud of that. He should be. Amos is also an animal lover. And day after day, and this is in the 1960s, he built race cars for squirrels. <laughs> Johanna has a fantasy in her little hat, a little tiny hat. Close um, to my little tiny body. So Amos obviously does a lot of driving. He's a construction owner, construction worker owner, whatever. Um, in his frequent journeys around the town, Mary. he noticed, yes. Mary? Yes. He does not own the construction workers. <laughs> you don't know that. That's slavery, Mary. It's against the so law. So 1960s, a long, It was long against the law ago, then, too. Way back when. Mary? In a land far, far away. <laughs> Mary. In 1960s, slavery was still against the law. Someone forgot to tell Amos that. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. He was such a nice guy, nobody cared. He was nice. They were thrilled to be owned by him. Yes, right. And his squirrel race car fleet. That's right. Jesus, we're not even drunk. I know. So, you know, Amos does a lot of driving around okay. town. He uh, He's an animal lover. Okay. And day after day, he watches in utter horror as squirrels get flattened because they run across the roadways looking for food. Right. And we've all seen it. Yep. Um, Olympia Way is a major thoroughfare through this town. Okay. So on one side of Olympia Way is a very large park with a lot of families of squirrels that reside within the, the trees. There's a lot of different kind of trees. There's just a lot of trees. It's a very big park. Uh, Washington State is home to nine species of squirrels. Okay. These little tiny, cute, furry rodents. They're big, fluffy tails. They're little squeaky voices. Their tiny inquisitive eyes and their little chittering voices, which, you know, when they're yelling at you, aren't so cute. On the other side of Olympia Way is a very large office building where the workers at the office building, thinking that they were being good, had made friends with the squirrels. Oh, no. And they would feed them every day. Oh. Thinking they were doing something good. Because we always think that when we're feeding animals, it's, it's good. But they didn't realize that the little squirrels had to risk their lives every single day to go across the road for their breakfast or lunch or daily treats and whatnot. And a lot of times they didn't make it back alive. So, on March 19th of 1963, Amos had had enough. He's done. He's tired of watching the squirrels die. He decided something had to change. He's on his way home one evening. And he sees a red squirrel in the road in front of the office building. This particular squirrel had met a vehicular demise. Amos collected the remains of the dead squirrel and he took it home. And he showed his children. Look, kids, Daddy brought home dinner! Um, I'm going to assume if Amos was an animal lover that his wife was an animal lover and they raised their lovely children to be animal lovers. After some months in the family freezer, the children got together had a discussion. God, he kept his children in the freezer? Yeah, I kind of screwed that sentence <laughs> up. Let me start that again. <laughs> After putting the dead squirrel in the freezer, some months passed. The children got together and not telling their dad, had a family discussion. They took the squirrel out of the freezer. He was frozen because the freezer was plugged in. Thank God. They put all of their allowance money together. And they took the squirrel to a taxidermist, and they had it taxidermied. Stuffed. Stuffed. I was going to say that, but that sounded too normal. They had it stuffed. 
It was actually their Christmas gift for their father. This was also the inspiration for the Nutty Narrows Bridge, which is super famous. The stuffed animal is still on display at the office of the Amos Peters Construction Company to this day. Aww. So, Amos has got this idea in his head. He thinks about it. He thinks about it. He wants to do it, but he he's pretty sure that if he verbalizes this idea, people are going to think he's crazy. But eventually he gets together with two of his friends, a man named Robert Newhall and a gentleman named Leroy Dahl. And they come up with a plan. They are going to design and they're going to construct a suspension bridge that goes from one side of the road to the other, which would ensure the squirrels were going to be safe in their travels. And so they did. The Nutty Narrows Bridge is designed to look like a mini suspension bridge. The span of it is over 60 feet long. It is made of aluminum piping covered with a retired fire hose, and that's how they created their little roadway. There's some really amazing pictures of this thing. The bridge reflects a modern design, which is aesthetic combined with the do-it-yourself style of Amos J. Peters. The total cost for the bridge in 1963 was $1,000. The original bridge was built over Olympia Way near the Civic Center in downtown Longview. So when they constructed the bridge in 1963, it received worldwide attention. It was featured in Sports Illustrated, the Christian Science Monitor, the London Daily. I mean, it was pretty pretty famous idea. This is very cool. It is. It also holds the title of both the world's narrowest bridge and the world's narrowest Animal Crossing. On March 30th of 1963, the bridge is unveiled at a grand dedication ceremony. They even brought the marching bands out. This is how important this is to this Aww. town. This is an awesome little town. I mean, as I'm reading, I'm thinking, this is a fantastic town. Right. A temporary platform was, was built. The dignitaries got up and spoke. They did their little speeches. The Longview police closed the street to traffic. The 60-foot-long bridge was hung over Olympia Way. The speeches were made. The bridge was dedicated as the road for rodents, and the ribbon was cut. Hundreds of the townspeople turned out for this event. That is so cool. This was a huge deal to the citizens of this town of Longview, Washington. So 20 years later, Peters takes the bridge down to repair it. They, they replaced the cross pieces. The sign that they had designed was repainted. And upon completion, the bridge was rededicated. Chippendale showed up for this rededication. Mickey Mouse came for the rededication. Also in attendance were 300 children and all their families. Aww. Still a very big deal to this town. That's very cool. After Amos Peters passed away in 1984, a year after he repaired it, a huge wooden gray squirrel statue was constructed in his honor, and it was placed at the library park. During the holidays, the Nutty Narrows Bridge is now decorated with little Christmas lights oh. and a miniature Christmas tree. I've seen it. It is so cool. Oh, my gosh. Yes. In 2007, the bridge was moved 100 yards east because the trees that were originally supporting it had started to rot. So the bridge is still super important to this town. Right. It was moved again in 2010 after it was determined that it was a traffic hazard because I, I'm assuming that things do change as population grows. Right. Its current location is now only three trees from the original spot over Olympia Way. Oh. On July 25th of 2013, the Longview City Council voted to place the Nutty Narrows Bridge on the 
Register of Historic Places. It is also listed on the Washington Heritage Register. It is also listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2014. They have added two more bridges to keep the squirrels safe. One is on Kessler Boulevard and the other is on Nichols Boulevard. Witness have reported seeing young squirrels who are being taught by their parents how to use the bridge. Oh my gosh. So cool. Oh, I, I um, The last information I have is that there, there are two additional bridges that have been erected, but I couldn't find specific locations for them. Yes, so they have five, five squirrel autobahns. That's very cool. I know. That's very cool. So cool. And you know, the cost was so minimal. Yeah. And so easy. Yeah. And since I found that story, I've seen other stories on bridges and thoroughways that have been constructed simply for animals. Yeah. And here's my thought on this whole thing, is when you construct something to ensure the safety of the animals over an area that used to belong to the animals alone, you not only save the animals, but you save damage to vehicles, you save the possibilities of accidents happening, you save, you know, maybe medical personnel, time, and resources. There's just so many things, in my opinion, that we save money on that, to me, is so worth constructing these Absolutely. Animal Crossings. That is a great story, Mary. It is. It is. Thank you very much. I have a story for you. It's a little different than yours. You always have very different stories for me, and I never know what direction we're going in. So our incredible and unlikely story begins back in 1902. Okay. All right. This is the story of the Celt, which began her life as a luxury yacht. I wish you guys could see Mary's face. She's real confused. I almost spit liquid out on my computer. Don't do that. That's why we just had to stop there for a minute. The Celt was commissioned by a wealthy railroad executive by the name of J. Rogers Maxwell. Maxwell, Maxwell was a yachting enthusiast, to say the very least. He actually won the 1907 King's Cup race with another one of his ships, which was called the Queen. He, he won against Commodore Vanderbilt. And yes, those the? Men. Yes, the Commodore Vanderbilt. Oh, As in the fine. railroad and shipping magnet. Oh, did you say magnet? Magnet. <laughs> <laughs> magnet? <laughs> Guru. King. Famous person. Famous the, person. The, the shipping and railroad famous person. Is how you should have said it. Not magnet. Don't call him a magnet because now he's attached to my refrigerator. <laughs> the Celt was over 180 feet long. Okay. And had steam-powered engines, which were top of the line in those days. You check in 1902. Yeah. She first set sail from Wilmington, Delaware. All right? Yeah. Maxwell actually sold the Celt to a man named Manton D. Metcalf prior to World War One. During World War I, however, the U.S. Navy commandeered the Celt for use in battle, and they renamed her the USS Satchel. That's sad. Because of her surprising speed, she became their secret weapon against the German U-boats and the submarines that were wreaking havoc on the British-American supply lines. She was outfitted with machine guns and depth charges, and she found great success. So this luxury yacht that started life in racing is now... 
fighting a war. Amazing. Just totally amazing. After the Navy was done using her for defense, the USS Satcham became a floating laboratory for Thomas Edison. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. I did not. I have never heard of that. Ready for this? I didn't know any of this. When it's associated with him? No, I had never heard of anything like that associated with him. Thomas Edison at that time was the head of the Naval Consulting Board. He was conducting government experiments on board that ship in the New York Harbor, exploring creative ways to destroy submarine threats. In time, Edison found the U.S. military to be stifling, and when the war ended in 1918, he lost his funding, and his time on board the mighty ship was over. Okay. A later interview actually with him actually indicated that he was super frustrated with his time doing experiments for the government because he literally came up with hundreds of ideas and products and they basically ignored everything he offered them. Wow. Yeah. After the war ended, the Satchel was sold by the Navy to Philadelphia banker Ronald L. Taylor. And eventually, I couldn't find the whole timeline and and records to to figure out how this happened, but it eventually passed into the hands of a man named Captain Jacob Martin in around 1932. Okay. Martin is known to this day as one of the pioneers of party boat fishing. Mm. Wow. So the Celt... Held a lot of party people. Uh... Became used for chartered fishing expeditions during the Great Depression. It's quite the large boat for that. A bit. In 1941, the ship is once again in the hands of the U.S. Navy. Records indicate that the Navy purchased it this time for $65,000, which is $1,156,655 today. Still not a lot of money, though. Not a ton. No. This time, she was renamed the USS Fenakite. She was fitted with shiny new armaments and state-of-the-art sonar equipment, and she was used to guard the U.S. from enemy U-boats following the bombing of Pearl Harbor. This is a ship that started out in 1902 as a luxury yacht. Yeah. A luxury racing yacht. Wow. The great ship earned herself an American campaign medal and two victory medals, one from each world war that she operated in. After the end of World War II, her battle days were over. She was used for a time to train soldiers to use sonar equipment in Key West Harbor. Key West. Key West. Key West, see? Yep. And at some point, she also did some patrols up in, like, the New York Harbor area. When the U.S. Navy no longer had any use for her, she was actually returned to Captain Martin, 1945. Wow, okay. So, yeah. They bought her and then gave her back. She was renamed yet again. She was first renamed... The Satchum. Not the USS Satchum, just the Satchum. Okay. Then she was sold to a cruise line and renamed the Sightseer. And finally, she was renamed the Circle Line 5. She became a cruise ship ferrying tourists around New York City for more than 40 years. So she really was around for a long, long time. She was retired from regular use in the early 80s. So for 80 years. For 80 plus years, yeah. Her story's not over. Oh, okay. Does it just start to get good? Well, by 1986, she'd definitely seen better days. She was rusting, and she was actually just sitting in sludge at the edge of a river. 
Yeah. yeah. And that is sad, considering her history. Yeah. She was purchased by Robert Miller, who was a resident of Kentucky, for the mind-boggling price of a mere $7,500. Wow. I'm a little flabbergasted at that. Yeah. He had bought her for his own personal use. He had dreams of fixing her up. Right. He renamed it the Satchel. Okay. He spent about 10 days making her seaworthy. One day, while Miller was working on the boat, a limousine pulled up, and a representative for Madonna's music producer got out. Yes, that Madonna. He told Miller that the boat had caught their eye, and he wanted permission to use the boat in a music video. Oh, wow. Satchum appeared extremely briefly in the music video for Madonna's Papa Don't Preach. Oh, my gosh. On July 4th, 1986, Miller and... A lot of his friends watched Ronald Reagan's relighting of the Statue of Liberty torch from the decks of the boat. That's cool. It's very cool. That is super, super cool. After she had been vandalized twice and his equipment had been stolen, Miller decided it would be better to take a different approach with her. He would bring her closer to home. He purchased some property just off of the Ohio River. He actually ran aground on his first attempt to take her home, and the boat spent a whole other year in New York. Wow. In 1988, Miller and his crew finally set out sail, and he sailed his new ship home to the property he had purchased in Kentucky. He sailed from New York through the Erie Canal, through the Great Lakes, down the Mississippi River, to the Ohio River, and in a small tributary off of the Ohio River, they anchored the sachem at the edge of the property that Miller had purchased. The trip was around 2,600 miles in total. Holy and it took about cow. And it took... 40 days. Despite his dreams of restoration, Robert Miller ran into some financial difficulty and he never actually finished his project. The ship never sailed again. The Satchum has sat in that same spot, mired in the shallow waters and the mud on that small tributary for more than 30 years. It's now a ghost of its former mighty self. It is rusting and abandoned and has become the subject of local legends. Robert Miller actually passed away in 2016, and the ship is now owned by Miller's son. This ship, which has become known simply as the Ghost Ship, sits on the edge of private property. The ship itself is also private property. Although it's technically illegal to board the ship, that doesn't stop people from visiting it. You can actually paddle a kayak to it, and people do. Sadly, though, some people lack respect and integrity, and have tagged it with spray paint. Metal thieves have attempted to cut pieces of metal from it. She can be seen from a nearby road, although not real clearly. There are trees growing up around her. There is vegetation growing on her decks. And if you get up close and you look carefully, you can still faintly see Circle Line 5 on the hull. Despite being a piece of local folklore, many people in the small town of Petersburg, Kentucky, know nothing of the ship's proud history. How she served in battle the lives she helped to save, how she saw the lighting of the Statue of Liberty torch, the awards she won, or the famous people that she encountered. To many, she's just a story they've heard about, but they've never actually laid their eyes on her. In 2015, a group of historians, as well as people who worked or sailed on her over the years, came together to start the Satchum Project, a website dedicated to preserving the memories and the accomplishments of this great ship. Their ultimate goal is to restore the boat and create a floating museum of sorts. That's a cool idea. 
And that's the story of the Kentucky Ghost Ship. That was very super cool. I thought you'd like that. Very super cool. Now that we have totally, totally bombarded people's brains (laughs) with a lot of shit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Information they didn't need to know. Well, that's what this is all about, isn't it? Hell yes, it is. And we do it well. Yes, we do. We do. We um, appreciate everybody that spent a little bit of time with us. Stop by, lent us your ear, listen to us chatter. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and enjoyed our stories today. Oh, yeah. Learned something new. I did. I know. Amazing. I, I mean, you find the most amazing shit. I don't even know where you find this stuff. It is the most amazing stuff. I'd tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. And then? I'd have to do a story on myself. <laughs> on the other podcast. <laughs> of Unsolved. Yes. Um, so you can find us at Facebook at Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. You can also find us at TMSIDNTK at gmail.com, which if you go to Facebook or you go to our anchor, all of that information is on there also. And we are also at Twitter if you are interested. If you have suggestions, ideas, comments, stories you'd like us to cover. Shit we haven't heard of that is bizarre. Send it our way. You guys. Absolutely. Yeah. You guys have sent us some amazing, amazing ideas. If you enjoyed your short stop with us, please feel free to follow the podcast. You can leave us a rating, a review, and if you follow the podcast, you'll get the downloads automatically. You'll never miss an episode. That is very true. You can find us anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcasts, obviously. The podcast is today co-hosted by myself, Mary Swartz. And myself, Hannah Green. And someone at this table does all the editing. (laughs) All right, Mary. Final thought till next time. (sighs) Hannah? Yes, Mary. You know, Mom and Dad would both say, don't roll your eyes out loud. They will get stuck that way. Have a great day. Bye, guys. Bid farewell to old Kentucky. The place where I was born and raised. For six long years I've been in trouble. No pleasure here on earth I've found. For in this world I'm bound to ramble. I have no friends to help me now. It's fairly well, my old true lover. I'd never expect to see you again. For I'm bound to ride. Blah, 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 blah. No, no, I don't know how to do that part. <laughs> I had that northern railroad. Perhaps I'll die upon this train. You can marry me in Sunday Valley for many years where I may lay. It's one of my favorite songs in the world. I know. <laughs> Excuse me. Your balls are showing. Bumblebee tuna. <laughs> feel it. You can feel it like it's right 
in the side of my neck. <laughs> I would have thrown me a spear. <laughs>